It's good to be with you, church. My name is Halim Sa. I serve as one of the pastors and elders here at the Stone. We've been going through a series that we've called Convictions. We're looking at eight core convictions that we hold as God's church here at the Austin Stone Community Church. Last week, we looked at the conviction, we are relentless in mission. We are relentless in mission. And today, we're going to conclude our series by looking again at this conviction, relentless in mission, a part two, if you will. Matt shared with us last week about how because of the gospel, because of the cross of Jesus, and because of this knowledge that our life in this world is but a breath, we're here today and gone tomorrow, because of the power of the gospel, because of the shortness of our lives here on earth, that ought to make us relentless. It ought to make us urgent in joining and participating in the mission of God wherever God has for us, which for the most of us is right here, right here in Austin, Texas, here in America. But today, I want us to focus on pursuing God's mission, being relentless in mission among the nations, among the nations, among all the unreached people groups of the world. And I'll define that term in a little bit. But first, what do we mean by God's mission? What, is, what mission did Jesus call us to? After Jesus, he finished the work of the cross, after he conquered sin and death from his resurrection from the dead, He said to his disciples, a text that's very familiar to many of us, Matthew chapter 28, starting in verse 18, says, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And so here's the mission of God. We also know it as the Great Commission. The mission of God that Jesus calls us into is that we make disciples, right? We go and make disciples, and so we should be doing that in our neighborhoods, at our schools, at our jobs. Well, how do we do that? We do that by declaring the gospel with our words. We declare the gospel with our words, and we demonstrate it with our lives by the way that we live. But the part that I want us to notice and pay special attention to today is this. Who are we to make disciples of? Where are we to take the gospels to? Verse 19, it says, go therefore and make disciples of who? Of all nations, it says. Yes, take the gospel to your neighbor, to your family, to your coworkers, but go beyond that. Go beyond that. Take the gospel to all the nations, Jesus said. And we're going to be talking about three main reasons for why we need to take the gospel to all the ends of the nations. But right here from the outset, I want to give you one of the greatest motivations, if not the greatest motivation we have as Christians to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. I don't know if you've heard all this talk about September 23rd being the end of the world and Jesus coming back, which by the way was last Saturday and we're still here. And really, it's nothing new. People have been predicting the return of Jesus ever since he promised that he would return. But Jesus said, concerning that day or hour, no one knows. He said, not even the angels know. He says, not even the son knows. He says, I don't even know. He said, only the father knows. And so Jesus seems pretty clear on that point that nobody knows. But nevertheless, we keep making predictions. 
People claim that they have some special insight or knowledge, and so I'm gonna jump on the bandwagon and make a prediction, okay, when Jesus is going to come back, when the end will happen, you ready? You don't have to be nervous, I promise it'll be biblical. <laughs> Matthew 24, 14, Jesus said, this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. And then the end will come. So you see, only the Father knows exactly what day or hour Jesus is going to come back, but the Father has determined what must happen, a prerequisite, if you will, what mission must be accomplished before Jesus comes back, and that is that the gospel of the kingdom must be preached to the very ends of the earth as a testimony to all the nations. And when that happens, when the Great Commission is accomplished, then the end will come. And the question that I've been asking myself all week and the question that I have for you is this. And so do you want Jesus to come back? Do you want him to return? If you could ask God to do one thing and he would do it, what would it be? My son Malachi, my oldest, he's, he's turning 10 in a couple weeks, double digits, it's crazy. And so I asked him this week, he was in the car with me, I said, Malachi, you're turning 10. It's amazing, like, so what do you want for your birthday, buddy? And he said, without even thinking about it, he said, Appa, I just want Jesus to come back. Just want Jesus to come back. And I know it sounds way too convenient of a sermon illustration that it would happen this week, <laughs> But it really did, and I didn't tee it up for him either. I didn't say, hey, buddy, this whole world, nothing matters. It's all going to burn. It only matters Jesus comes back. So what do you want for your birthday? So I didn't do that. I should get father of the year. That's, that's what this means. And so if you've been saved by Jesus, if you, and if you had the opportunity to express the deepest longing of your heart into one request to God, well, what would it be? Would it be for a husband or a wife? Would it be for a happy marriage? Would it be for a healthy family? Would it be for a successful career? Well, all those things are good, but if you could only express one desire, one dominating desire of your life, what would it be? And I really try to answer this question honestly for myself, and I think the answer truly is, as it says in the last chapter of Revelation, I think my request would be, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus, quickly, right? If we're Christians here today, if we've been bought by the blood of Jesus, what should be the dominating desire of our hearts? Should it not be Maranatha, come Lord Jesus? Church, do you want Jesus to come back? Well, only the Father knows when Jesus will return. But in the mystery of God, he has granted that we can hasten his coming. We can make quick his coming. Second Peter 3.12, Peter tells us that we are to be a people who wait for and hasten the coming of Jesus. A people who wait for and hasten the coming of Jesus. Well, first of all, are we waiting? Are we waiting? When's the last time you woke up and thought to yourself, I wonder if he's coming back today, right? Or has this promise in God's word, it seems like such a distant reality that it just doesn't even play a role in our everyday life. 
We are to be a people who wait for. But not only that, it says hasten the coming of Jesus. Peter tells us that we can make quick the return of Jesus. Well, how in the world can we do that? By playing our role, by every single one of us doing our part, as Matt talked to us last week about, by getting in the fight. And to the extent that we are engaging in playing a part in taking the gospel to the ends of the earth among all the peoples is the extent that we could honestly and genuinely say, I want him to return, right? If you're sitting here today and saying, I love Jesus, And I want Jesus to come back, I really do. But if you look at your life and you see that you're doing nothing, right? Playing no role in taking the gospel to the very ends of the earth, then what? Well, we would be liars at best and unbelievers at worst, right? Now, in order to discern what role we can play, let's ask, well, what is the actual mission that needs to be accomplished for Jesus to return? Let's do a quick three-minute missiology study. Did you know that the gospel, in fact, has been taken to every political country in the world today? All 195 of them, including the most hostile and closed countries like North Korea, the gospel has been preached. And so you might be asking, well, so why hasn't Jesus come back? Because when Jesus commanded his followers to make disciples of all nations, he didn't simply mean for us to take the gospel to all the geopolitical entities of the world, right? The countries like U.S. or China or Turkey, nations as we would define them. In Matthew 28, the word Jesus used for nations in the Greek is the word ethne, from which we get the English word ethnic. And so this word ethne, as Jesus used it, means ethno-linguistic people groups. And so if you look at the world in this way, based on missiological and anthropological and ethnographic research, there are an estimated 17,000 people groups in the world today. Not 195 citizens of different countries, but 17,000 people groups. And among 17,000 people groups, there are an approximate 7,000 unreached people groups. The 7,000 unreached people groups represent about 3.15 billion people, or about 41.5% of the world's population. I'd highly recommend you guys checking out a website called joshuaproject.net. It explains all of these things and shows all these information amazingly. Let me define some of these terms for you. What's a people group? A a people group, as far as the spreading of the gospel is concerned, is this. A people group is the largest group within which the gospel can spread as a church planning movement without encountering barriers of language or culture. And so a people group is the largest group of people that you would look at and say, these people are bound by one common language and one common culture. And so what's an unreached people group? An unreached people group is a people in which there is no indigenous community of believers, uh, Christians, enough Christians with adequate numbers and resources to evangelize their own people group. Typically, this means that less than 2% of the people group are believers, okay? That's how it's defined. And so I know that number 2%, it may sound arbitrary, but the thinking is this that if there's less than 2% of a people that are believers, that there's not a sustainable gospel presence for that people to have access to the gospel, and that's the key. When we say unreached, what we're talking about is access. And so you might be saying, well, my neighbor is unreached. You might be saying that. But what you really mean is my neighbor is an unbeliever, okay? You're not saying they're unreached. 
Unreached means no access. Well, they may be an unbeliever, but they have access to the gospel, right? Why? Because you live next door. Because within a few miles is a local church that preaches the gospel. And so just because someone is an unbeliever doesn't mean they are unreached. To be unreached means they have little to no access to the gospel. And so if you're born into an unreached people group, for instance, the Turks living in Turkey. I had the opportunity to serve there while in college for a few months. And I was almost overwhelmed by this fact that among 50 million Turks living in Turkey, at the time there was only about 2,000 believers. So just to give you reference, what does that mean? That means it, in this gym alone, just in the morning service, there's gonna be about 2,000 of you. And what if you were in charge of taking the gospel to 50 million people, right? Well, how long would that take? Well, so to live amongst an unreached people group would most likely mean this. It would mean that you would be born and that you would live and that you would die without ever hearing the gospel, not one time. And there's about 7,000 people group in that situation. And the reason why I'm sharing with you all of this is to show you the current state of where we're at as far as the completing of the Great Commission. We're about 7,000 people groups away from Jesus returning. We're about 7,000 people groups away from Jesus returning. Isaiah 6, 8 says, and I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, here I am, send me. Why, when you read through God's word, do you see God's people always leaving, always leaving their home? You look at Abraham, he left. You look at Moses, he left. You look at Isaiah, he left. All of Jesus' disciples, they leave their homes. Why? Because we worship someone named Jesus who left his home. That's what the gospel is all about. Why did Jesus come and as soon as he trained his disciples, why did he send them out? Right now, as we sit here, there are 145 Austin Stone partners that are living among an unreached people group right now. Why did 145 of our people from this body leave this amazing city? Have you been to Uchi? It's amazing. Why, why leave this place? Why sell everything, leave their family and friends to go and live somewhere, someplace, where it's considered some of the most dangerous places that a Christian can live. And not only that, why did 50 more of you raise your hands and say, here I am, send me. And you're being trained right now to go and join them among the nations. And why, without exception, should every person who claims to be a Christian play some role in taking the gospel to the ends of the earth, to people from every tongue, tribe, and nation? Why? For at least three reasons. Number one, because the mission is sure. Because the mission is sure, it will be accomplished. Number two, because it completes our joy. It completes our joy. God has wired us in such a way that if something truly amazing happens to us, unless we share it, right, our joy won't be made full. Number three, because we see that our King Jesus, he can't be praised enough. And that's what it's all about at the end of the day. We go to the nations because we see that the worship that Jesus is due, whatever worship he's receiving right now, it's not enough. That's what we're saying. That's why we go to the nations. And for the rest of our time together, let's look at these three motivations. First one, because the mission is sure. 
It's sure. We take the gospel to all the nations. Listen, not so that the mission will be accomplished, but because it will be accomplished. Not so that, but because it will be accomplished. In Revelation chapter seven, the last book of the Bible, the apostle John is given a vision into what's going to happen at the end of the age. And he says this, Revelation seven, verse nine. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God saying, amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever, amen. This portion of scripture is absolutely breathtaking. We see people from every nation, from all tribes and languages singing the praises of Jesus. Not one language is missing. Think about that. Not a single language is missing. And every people group is there and represented and singing and worshiping Jesus. And we long for this day to come. But we have to be careful. This scene isn't written to stir our sentimentality. This scripture isn't written so that we can think, oh, wouldn't it be nice, right? Oh, wouldn't it be nice if all the nations would worship him? Sometimes we read this text in that way. As we read, it sounds amazing, and we think, oh, wouldn't it be nice if all the nations would worship Jesus? But rather, this is a prophecy. This is a promise. It's a look into what will happen. God is promising that there's coming a day when you and I will be gathered around his throne. And when I'm there, I'm not going to be surrounded by people who just look like me and talk like me. You're, when you're there, you're not gonna be there with just people who look like you and talk like you. You're gonna be surrounded by people from every tongue, tribe, and nation, every language there, every people group represented, singing the praises of Jesus. Why? Why? Because he's worthy. Because he has gone to the cross for the world. Right? That's what John 3.16 says. Right? The verse that we all know, for God so loved the world. Not just you and your people group, but the world that he gave his son. And so the next question could be, so why do we take the gospel to the ends of the earth if he's going to do it no matter what, right? If he's gonna do it, why go do it ourselves? First of all, King Jesus commanded it. That should be enough. But more than that, also, we take the gospel to the ends of the earth as a way for us to demonstrate that we believe God has the power to do what he has promised to do. That's why we're going. We're saying, God, when, when we hear your promise that you're going to, you're going to one day gather for yourself a people from every tongue, tribe, and nation. They'll all be there worshiping you. We believe you. We believe that you have the power to do that. That's why we're going. Not so that God's mission will be accomplished, but because it will be accomplished. And what we're saying as God's people is that God is doing something absolutely incredible, and I want to take part. I want to be part of it. And so our God is calling us to go and make disciples of all the nations. Listen, not because... He needs you, not because he needs you, because he wants you. 
because he wants you. And that changes everything, doesn't it? He's saying, look, look how I've saved you. He's saying, look, look how I've sent my one and only precious son for you to show you that how much I love you. He's saying, look at the cross. He's saying, look at all the ways that I've planned and worked and accomplished your salvation. And he's saying, but look, but I'm not done. I'm not done working. I'm not done saving. I'm going to bring people for myself. I'm going to save a people from every tongue, tribe, and nation. And it's going to be awesome. And I want you to join me. That's what he's saying. The mission is sure. And so don't miss out on something incredible that God is doing, which leads us to the second reason. We declare the good news of the gospel to all the nations because it completes our joy. Because it completes our joy. What do we mean by that? I mean, if you experience something truly wonderful, what is the first thing that you want to do? You go to the doctor and you get the results of your CT scan and and she tells you the tumor is gone. There's no sign of it. What do you want to do? What do you want to do? You get that promotion that you've been working hard for. What's the thing that you want to do? You ask the the girl of your dream out on a date and surprisingly she says yes. What do you do? What do you want to do? Well, you want to tell somebody, right? You want to call somebody and share the great news. Why? Well, God made you that way. He's made you in such a way that when you experience something truly wonderful, what you immediately want to do is to share that wonder with somebody. And the sharing of that wonder isn't duty or task. We're not going around going, well, I guess it's wonderful. I guess I got to tell somebody. It's not duty or task, right? And so imagine um, your boyfriend takes you out on the most wonderful date, and at the end of the night, he gets down on one knee, and he tells you, I love you so much. You're my best friend. I can't imagine living life without you. Will you do me the honor of marrying me? And you say yes, and you cry. You got a big fat rock on your finger, and you go to the car. You pick up your phone, and you want to call your mom, your friends, and your fiance knocks the phone out of your hand, and she says, don't tell anybody. Don't tell nobody. (laughs) What does that do to your joy, right? What does it do to your joy? Well, it cuts it short. It makes it incomplete. And so do you see what this means? God never meant the Great Commission to be a burden. God never meant his command for you to declare the gospel to all the nations to be a burdensome, joyless task. He wants us to share the gospel because he wants us to be happy. Did you know that if you're a Christian here today, the most incredible thing that could ever happen to a person has happened to you? Do you believe that? Do you believe that? What if you won some lottery and won a billion dollars? You would think it was incredible and you would go tell people. If you had cancer and you were healed, you would go tell people, right? If something truly amazing happened to you and you think it's wonderful and you think it's amazing, you're going to tell somebody. You won't keep it to yourself. That's what the apostles said, right? They were being threatened with persecution and pain and even death. And they said, whether it's right or for me to share these things and tell these things, you determine it. But I cannot stop speaking of what I've seen and what I've heard. It's so great, I can't keep it in. Right? Did you know that if you're a Christian here today, the most incredible thing that could ever happen to a person has happened to you? And God is saying, if you go tell the world, you will be happy. If you go tell the world, you will be filled with joy. Your joy will be made complete. Now, all of that 
is absolutely true and biblical. But I want you, I want to bring some sobriety into the calling to the unreached people groups. Church, they are unreached for a reason. They're unreached for a reason. They are unreached because many of them, if not all of them, they don't want to be reached. They are unreached because many of them are hostile to the gospel. And some of them, if they had the opportunity, would kill you for being a Christian, for preaching the gospel. And our church has experienced one of our own. Our brother and our friend Ronnie was killed in Libya for preaching the gospel. And so no, I'm not flippantly saying we should all go to the nations because it'll just make us happy. What joy can you cling to when you've sold everything, left your home and family and friends, have labored for years to learn this other language and you've been laboring for years to share the gospel as much as you can, but there hasn't been a single person that's saved. You haven't seen a single convert for years. What if the thing that you're experiencing for the sake of the, sake of the gospel is not the joy of seeing people saved every day, but the misery of persecution and suffering and even the threat of death? What joy do you cling to? Let's look at the Great Commission again. Matthew 28, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus says, all authority has been given to me. Like Matt shared with us last week, we have the power of the resurrection in us. You have the power of the resurrection in you to empower you to go and participate in God's mission. But it's not just that. What does he promise us at the end? He says, behold, behold, to make sure he has our attention. He said, I'm about to tell you something really precious. He says, behold, what? I am with you. I am with you always to the end of the age. This sending out of go and make disciples is not a sending out of I'm going to stay but you go. It's not that kind of a sending out. It's an invitational sending out. He's saying, I want you to be where I am. I want you to go where I will be, where I will be at work. He says, I will be with you. And so to the 145 living, living among the unreached, listening, I want you to hear. And to the 50 more getting ready to join them, I want you to hear. And to the rest of us that God is calling to play some role in taking the gospel to the ends of the earth, I want you to hear. He will be with you. He will be with you. At the border of the closed country, you're there. You're about to enter and your heart's thumping. This is it. This is it. He will be with you. He will be with you. As you're learning that tiring language and the only gospel that you can express is not with the eloquence of your mother tongue, but as a child with baby words, he will be with you. He will be with you. In the disorientation of a new culture and foods that don't settle, he will be with you. In speaking the gospel when your hearers may turn on you, when they may turn you in, in persecution and in jail, he will be with you. And when you're pressed to renounce Jesus or die, he will be with you. The joy of being with Jesus. That's the joy that we cling to when the labor is exhausting and the suffering is real.
If you want to be with Jesus, I mean truly a tangible sense of with, and perhaps you're a Christian here today, but you can't remember the last time you felt like I'm with Jesus and Jesus is with me. Perhaps the problem is that you spent way too much time and energy trying to get Jesus where you are, right? Trying to get Jesus where you are when what you really need to do is to go to him where he is. And Jesus tells us in Matthew 28 where he is. He says he's going to all the unreached people groups. That's where Jesus is. That's what he's all about, accomplishing his mission, If you haven't felt the real intimacy with Christ and a closeness with the Holy Spirit for a very long time, it may be because you're off trying to accomplish your own mission, right? When Jesus is elsewhere accomplishing his mission. Perhaps you've been trying to get Jesus to come and be a part of what you're doing. And maybe it's finally time to surrender to go and do what he's doing, where he is what he's all about. And I wonder how many of you here today at some point in your life, in your walk with Jesus, he called your name. He called your name and you know it, to go to the unreached. And for some reason or another, you stayed. And maybe today's the day that you need to finally surrender to him. And you know, we can't stay and make disciples. We can't stay and make disciples. Jesus said, go, therefore, and make disciples. In one sense or another, we all have to go. None of us are exempt. We can't stay in our own comforts and securities and worship our privacy and make disciples. Whether it's across the street or whether it's across an ocean, we're all called to go. Not out of guilt, but for glory. Not out of duty, but for joy. There aren't two categories of Christians, right? One category that needs to obey the Great Commission and another category that doesn't. There's not two types of believers. There's not two types of people that are saved where Jesus is saying, you go and you stay. We're all called to go. Go, therefore. It's a universal commission given to every believer. And I want every single one of us, every single person here, if God has saved you by his blood, if you're saying that, you're sitting here and you're saying, I'm saved. Why? Because of the blood of Jesus. I want you to make a commitment to go. Maybe God is confirming for you right now that you need to be a long-term goer among the unreached. Yes and amen to that. We're gonna help you every step of the way. But really, I want every single Christian here to make a commitment to go on a short-term trip. It doesn't have to be this year. Just make a commitment towards it. I made a call to... Andy Campman, our pastor of missions and mobilization this week. Andy, tell me what me and my family can do. Is there some place amongst the unreached that Angela and I with our kids could go together and spend the week? I know a pastor who challenged his church to spend 2% of their lives. Give a 2% of your life among the unreached. And he said, if you do that, if you, if you give 2% of your life, which works out to about a, a week per year, if you do that, it will drastically change the way that you live the rest of the 98% of your life. Another role, another role we need to play to take the gospel to the unreached, we need you to give. We need you to give. I know another pastor who challenged his church to commit giving 10% of their income to the local church and 10% of their income 
to the unreached. One of the things that's constantly on the minds of the elders here at the Austin Stone, one of the things that we regularly worry about is this. We think about the 145 already amongst the unreached people group. We, we think about the 50 more who are getting trained and ready to go. And we think about every year, every year, because of God's faithfulness, call upon this church, people are raising their hands and they're saying, here I am, send me. But the thing that we worry about all the time is, well, how in the world are we gonna be able to keep up in financially supporting all these goers? Just this year, we gave $870,000 to support the goers. And that may sound like a lot, but it's really not if it's divided by 145. Many of us, if not all of us, we don't feel rich. But by any standard of measure, you and I, if you're sitting here right now, you and I are considered some of the wealthiest people that has ever walked planet Earth. Did you know that? If you're sitting here today, you are considered one of the wealthiest people that has ever walked planet Earth. And so I wonder if we can make a commitment as a church, as, a, as an encouragement to those who are already among the nations, to those who will be raising their hands and saying, me too, send me too. I wonder, as an encouragement to them, we could look at each other and say, if God is calling you to go long term among the nations, we got you. We got you. Can we say that? as 7,000 or so of the wealthiest that the world has ever known that call the Austin Stone their home church, can we look at the 100 or 200 or 300 among our people, brothers and sisters in Christ who are raising their hands and saying, God is calling me to go long term. Can we look at them and say, we got you. We will financially support you. We will pray for you. We will pray for the unreached people group that you're going to be among. And as some of these goers come back for a few months to raise support, visit family, take care of medical needs, we also need people who are willing to volunteer a car, perhaps a room in their house, perhaps an entire home for a period of at least a month at a time. These are some of the pressing ways that every single one of us, without exception, can take part in playing, take part in taking the gospel to the very ends of the earth. And we'll give you more instructions on how to do that during the announcements. And in closing, I wanna give you one last reason why we go to the nations. We go to the nations because our King Jesus, he can't be praised enough. That's why ultimately. We go to the nations because he cannot be praised enough. Ultimately, it's about our King Jesus receiving the worship that he is due. In Revelation chapter five, the Apostle John tells us something else that he saw happening in the heavenlies at the end of the age. He heard voices of myriads upon myriads, thousands and thousands, singing and praising Jesus, singing these words. They were singing, worthy are you. Worthy are you, Jesus, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tongue and language and people and nation. We go to the nations because we realize that if on that day, if a single people group is missing, we go to the nations because we realize if on that day, if there's a single language not present singing the praises of Jesus, then he would not be receiving the worship that he is due. Our King Jesus, he has ransomed with his blood a people from every tribe and nation, and so he must have them all. Every single one. 
We go to the nations. We take the gospel to people from every tongue, tribe, and nation because he can't be praised enough. Let's pray together. Father, and so we ask that you would continue to do that work now as people who have been saved by the blood of your son, as people who have experienced truly the greatest thing that could ever happen to a person, Lord. Let us be a people so overwhelmed by the greatness of who you are, by the greatness of your son, by the greatness of the gospel. Lord, help us to see with your eyes. Help us to feel with your heart all those who do not yet know you as king and savior. Father, my prayer is simply this. Receive the glory that you are due. And Lord, let us not miss out. Let us not miss out on that great day when we are there gathered around your throne, worshiping you among a people from every tongue, tribe, and nation. And our voice is one of the myriads. And when our voice and our language is one of the thousands, Lord, help us to rejoice that much more because of the grace, because of the greatness of this reality, that this great mission you are accomplishing right now, you called us to participate. You called us to join you, Lord. For every single believer here today, without exception, Lord, call us to play a role. Help us to live in obedience to your great commission. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.